0: Hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. My husband Matt is a guest on a podcast. I talk a lot about how one of the industries that's been really hit hard by COVID is the live event industry. And so long as it makes more sense for people to not gather in large groups, live events are going to be a challenge. Like on on the one hand, I think come on, if we can allow people to fly in planes, then surely we as creative people can come up with ways to make theater and concerts happen. And we've seen it, like um, with the Indigo Girls concert from a drive-in movie place in Atlanta. So the audience was in their cars or sitting just outside of their cars, and we were sitting in our basement watching it on TV, and that was really freaking awesome. On the other hand, we're seeing numbers of COVID cases soaring and much as it hurts me in my heart, I need to agree that now is not the time for live events to get up and running again and unfortunately this means that thousands of people are out of work because remember we aren't just talking about performers, we're talking about box office staff, ushers, concession workers, equipment rental companies, costumers and on and on and on and on. Um, and my husband has a roster of over 500 casual employees who are the technicians who load in and set up shows and take them out again. And that's just here in Vancouver. There are hundreds more in all the other centers, big and small, across the continents. So this is a huge deal. Our colleague Jay Swing started a podcast called Swing's Soapbox. And in it, he's uh, talking to industry professionals about all of this stuff. And Matt was a guest on it recently. I got to thinking about why live events, live theater, live concerts are so important. Matt and Swing talk a bit about this too in that uh, interview. I've mentioned before about reading my work aloud to you and how odd it feels to not have that instant audience reaction. So that's how I feel as a performer. But what about the audience? What is it about seeing a concert, seeing our favorite musicians live on stage, even if they're so far away that we're spending a lot of time looking at the big screen? What is it about seeing that person whose work we love live and in person when we could just sit at home and listen to a recording? You know, there's, there's something about the energy when you see a live performer, something about the possibility of imperfection <laughs> of live music that makes it real, you know, of of knowing that that voice I'm hearing is coming from that person right there who is amazing and one of my favorite artists. So why is it important to gather and experience these things together? Like live theater, put your hand up if you've never been to a play. I don't just mean Broadway, these these big shows that that fill enormous venues, small, intimate theater spaces, too. If you put your hand up, I heartily encourage you to rectify that the moment the world opens up and it's possible because there's just something about that shared emotional experience. Seeing those actors on that stage right there, that is so powerful. Seeing a play with a room full of other people, I, I don't know about you. But if I'm alone, I don't find funny things as funny, or sad things as sad, not to the same degree, you know. Um, Dirk van Straelen talked about this in chats with Cool Folk Number Two about seeing Julia Mackey's play Jake's Gift" over and over and over. And yet because he's in a theater where other people are crying, he cries, even though he directed it, and they've been touring the show for years with countless performances. So hey, if you have any thoughts on that, share them in the comments or on the Facebook page or email me at totallyfantastictitle at gmail.com. I just wonder what it is about live events and seeing those live performers in a room full of other people. What, what is it about that shared emotional experience that, that humans need, you know? I miss it. I miss live theater, I miss live concerts, and all the people whose livelihoods rely on it miss live events, too. <laughs> anyway, check out Swing's Soapbox. But first, I'm going to read to you. Now, what's interesting about this chapter is that when I first started writing Kier's story, the first chapter I wrote was the opening chapter of Gatekeeper's Key, wherein Kier kills Simon. That sets everything off. The second chapter I wrote was this one. I give you the second chapter I ever wrote. Gatekeeper's Deception by Krista Wallace Chapter 6 More Powerful Than You Know Whatever Kier had expected, it was not what lay before her. Camille led Kier into a large chamber, brightly lit with countless candles and wall sconces. Tapestries on the walls depicted scenes of castles, rivers, lakes, and forests. The images were startlingly realistic, with colors so vivid she was fooled for a moment into thinking they weren't wall hangings at all but windows into other worlds. The longer she stared at them, the more they came alive. Were those clouds actually moving? Was that flag on the topmost turret fluttering in a breeze unfelt by herself, with eagles soaring high above it? In her limited experience, Pierre had never seen such an artistic use of magic. Warm rugs scattered the stone floor, and a couple of armchairs and a sofa encircled the fire in its elaborately carved stone fireplace— The centerpiece of the seating arrangement was a table adorned with an enormous vase of extraordinarily beautiful spring wildflowers, tiger lilies, foxglove, alpine lupin, honeysuckle, and their fresh scent reached Kier and brought the outdoors within the tower so vividly that her shoulders dropped and her neck softened without her even realizing it. The dark wood of the nearby dining table shone, but not as much as the intricately etched candelabra of astonishingly bright silver which stood in the center. Another table held liqueur bottles and glasses. On the far wall was a glossy cherry writing desk. A golden harp stood on a rug with a chair ready next to it. She took in the whole setting breathlessly. When she finally spoke, it was in no more than a whisper. But this is beautiful. Were you expecting instruments of torture? He spoke so gently she returned his smile. "'A curving staircase climbed the far wall. "'Kami gestured to it as he spoke. "'I am certain you would like to refresh yourself after your long journey. "'You will find everything you need upstairs in your chamber. "'Take as much time as you need.' "'He lowered his arm and bowed. "'I'll be waiting.' "'Kir thanked him somewhat awkwardly. "'She was in awe of him and this room "'and the situation in which she had so suddenly found herself. "'She ascended the stairs, "'her thudding heart loud enough to echo in the chamber.' "'She could feel his eyes on her as she climbed "'and glanced back down at him before opening the door at the top. "'He bowed to her again, and she thought of his words, "'One of your kind.' "'She passed through the door out of sight of that alarming gaze.' A landing gave way to another door on her right. She opened it and went up two more stairs to a large bedchamber furnished simply but beautifully in rich, warm colours and textures. Bed, washstand, wardrobe in the corner next to a full-length mirror. A fire in the grate cast the warmth of summer over the room. A bathtub near the window steamed and the scent of lavender permeated the chamber. A cotton robe was draped across a chair and warming by the fire. fire. "'Either it had all been prepared magically—she shivered—or Kami had lightning-quick servants. "'Leaning out the window, she looked down to see how far up this room was. "'Nope, I don't think I'll jump.' "'She craned her neck upward to see how much more tower was above her. "'The sunset silhouetted the building, giving it a glowing aura. "'Many more stories were stacked above this one. "'Why did one solitary man need such a huge home?' She opened the wardrobe to see if Kami had provided her with anything decent to wear for dinner. How could she doubt him? Though she wondered at his choices. Four dresses of red, gold, green, and blue. Kierre couldn't remember if she'd ever worn a dress. She slipped out of her boots and stockings to scrunch her feet into the thick, soft fur rugs that cushioned the stone floor. Dipping her hands suspiciously into the bathwater, she considered her vulnerability. She knew she ought to remain on guard, yet she felt safe here. Smiling, she decided it was unlikely Kamie would kill her with a hot bath. Saving her caution for later, she peeled off her grubby clothes. Derry suspended his suspicions at the decent meal that awaited them on the table, and no one said much while they ate. The one topic that was on all their minds already coursed heavily through the room. It made for a noisy evening. Derry wished someone would say something to drown out the reverberating thoughts in his head. Please pass the carrots was the best he could come up with, and it had little to no effect." "'Skimnoddle was the only one who did not seem vexed by Kier's absence. "'All evening he chattered about what Kier and Kamey might be up to, "'and if they were hitting it off to Kamey's satisfaction. "'Derry gave him his best warning glare, but it went unnoticed. "'The captain slouched in his chair by the fire. "'Any bets on which can drink the other under the table?' "'Skimnoddle asked. "'Janet guffawed. "'That would be a contest worth seeing.' "'Derry shifted in his chair.' I don't know how you can joke about it. Perhaps I see things in a different light, Skimnoddle answered. We had nothing with which to trade for the knowledge we seek. Kier had. It follows that if we wish to save the lady, this is the right course of action. Fennel stepped in. But it's wrong that she should have to sacrifice herself. We hope she is sacrificing nothing, Derry corrected the elf irritably. Kami gave his word to do nothing against her will, Juskel said. Janet kicked Skimnoddle's boot. Knowing her, she might very well be willing. Skimnoddle snorted. Say, do you suppose there might be a problem with humans and wizards being, you know, compatible? Enough! Derry quelled an urge to reach for the halfling's throat, speaking of her as if she were a strumpet. We have no idea what Kami wants or what he is capable of. Let's just hope he doesn't say anything to set her off, Janik said. She's like flint in a straw pile, that one. If she spouts off to him like she did to Lord Fearin, we'll not get what we came for. And by the hammer, God, I don't want to imagine what he'd do to her. Oh, surely she won't be so foolish again, Derry said under his breath. Kier emerged at the top of the stairs to feel harp music billowing up and around her. She surprised herself by fixing one fierce resolution into her mind and her will. Resist him. Camie saw her and rose from the harp as though she'd lifted him. The notes wafted around the room for a strangely long time. In the bright light of the fire and lamps, he gazed up at her as if he'd never seen her before, and truly no one had seen Kier like this. She had never felt so... feminine. The forest green gown of crushed velvet clung to her figure and gained fullness in the skirt as it fell to her feet. The scooping neckline hid her medallion, though its chain was visible, and the fabric revealed her upper body strength. Her neck and collarbones were flattered even more by her hair, which shone and was swept up, gathered loosely atop her head with a comb. Camie's eyes met hers, and a tremor passed through her. One hand held the green cloth out of the way of the calf-hide boots that cradled her feet with the softness of moss. The other slid down the railing to steady her as she descended the stairs. She tried to frown, to concentrate, but she was unnerved by the way he looked at her as if he could see through her, and as a flush crept up her bare neck, her resolution wavered and she felt herself smile at him, her lips quivered. Could she resist him? Did she want to? He held out his hand as she reached him, and she placed her calloused one in it. His fingers blended agility with strength, and his hand enveloped hers like a glove of the finest cloth. Her whole body tingled at his touch. She was loath for him to release it. He led her the few steps to the dining table, then turned and looked at her thoughtfully. "'I thought you might choose that one.' "'The dress?' "'Yes, it suits you perfectly.' "'Kierre forced an air of nonchalance. "'It's been such a long time since I've dressed this way. "'I don't feel like it suits me at all.' "'She remembered her resolve and gently pulled her hand out of his. "'That was noteworthy self-control. "'Oh, believe me, it does,' Camy insisted. "'He had not taken his eyes off her. "'You are lovely.' "'She had heard the words before dozens of times, "'but never had she been moved by them. "'Never had she been charmed by a mere compliment.' this was different, and she liked it. She wondered with amusement how the others would react if they saw her. Camie looked at her fixedly. Once again, she fought back a blushing smile and failed. Suddenly, his mood shifted, and he became more casual, less intense. "'Would you agree to dine with me?' "'Yes, I will agree to that,' Kia replied, thinking that she hadn't much choice since she was famished. Yet his behaviour was that of the perfect gentleman as he motioned her to a chair at the table and helped to seat her. She saw no reason not to trust him thus far. Still, she must not be careless.' The table, which was bare when she went upstairs, was now a dazzling display of light. The candles glimmered off the silver-lidded platters, gilt-edged plates and silverware, crystal water goblets, and silver wine cups. The luxury of it was overwhelming to the girl from the northern farming village. Her host's face glowed with pleasure, and she saw that her own reflection was not dissimilar. Camie poured white wine into her cup. "'I assure you I have not poisoned anything.' Camie smiled cheekily. No, I don't suppose you would need to, Kier replied, you being a wizard and me completely unarmed and all. Ah, unarmed, yes, but not defenseless. Kier's eyebrows shot up, his eyes twinkled at her puzzlement, and, may I add, dangerously disarming, raising his cup he toasted, to the many facets that make a woman alluring, beauty and strength among them. Pierre had fully recovered and looked at him evenly, then she raised her cup and drank to that. "'She had never dined in so formal a manner, and had been eating nothing but mushy mixtures from a tin cup for so long "'that she was thankful for the dim memories of Gareth and Della trying to teach her at least basic table etiquette. "'Even the meals she took at Shale Castle were not as formal as this.' Camille did not embarrass her by noticing when she nearly forgot to lay her serviette on her lap, "'nor when she caught herself eating with her knife out of habit. "'It was a lot to get used to, the attire and the elegant meal. "'She was not the sort who easily lost her composure "'and did not allow these small trials to impede her enjoyment.' Kier ate strips of grilled meat in red wine sauce, rack of lamb, rosemary and mint potatoes, asparagus, and baby carrots. There were balls of melon and chunks of apple to dip in warm chocolate or caramel, and plenty of wine. Kier's initial unease was quickly replaced with contentment. They conversed lightly about Kier's journey north, her mission for Valraker, and her childhood in Hrath. When they had both eaten their fill, Cami suggested they move over to the fire. Pierre took her cup of wine and sat on the sofa. Kier went to the small table and poured a drink of something new for each of them. He handed her the glass and sat in an armchair. A liqueur made from elderflowers. She sipped. It's good. Do you gather your own elderflowers? Occasionally. Do you never leave here to travel even? I traveled in my youth he told her, but I have spent much of my life here. I have everything I need in contact with others when I desire it, and sometimes when I do not. "'Are we intruding on your privacy, Kamey?' Kier said, just a little pertly. "'You didn't have to allow us to stay, you know.' "'And I very nearly did not,' Kamey replied. "'But for your presence I likely would have sent your friends away.' "'Why?' She overlooked the part about her own influence on his decision. You keep saying you live here alone. You have all the time in the world for anything and everything you want to do. So what do you have against helping people out once in a while? Are you afraid people will start to like you? She caught her breath as she realized she might be pushing her luck with her bold familiarity. The wizard did not respond right away, and Kier looked into the pale amber liquid in her tumbler, awaiting condemnation. "'Yet as she waited, she got the bizarre impression "'that he was searching for the right words, "'as if he were equally dependent on her good opinion of him. "'She had no idea why the idea came to her, "'but she knew she was right. "'She sipped the sweet liquid again. "'I have no wish to be a god,' he said finally. "'I live alone because, for the most part, "'I like it this way, though sometimes... "'He cut himself off as if about to give away "'more than he intended.' "'My purposes are much more suited to being feared and held in awe. "'If my reputation were to grow as a benevolent figure "'who would grant wishes to all and sundry, "'how long would my solitude last?' "'It's okay," Keir shrugged. "'I get it. "'Though I wish you'd made it easier in our case.' "'Another sip, and she placed her empty liqueur tumbler on the table. "'I would not say I made it difficult in your case,' Camy said quietly. "'Have you found it difficult?' Damn, she'd walked right into that one, but she couldn't lie. No, you're right. It is not as if this arrangement is what I make all the time. Then why did you? Why me? The question could no longer remain unspoken. I was curious. I wanted the chance to speak with you in private. I felt that your company was something I have been waiting for. Throughout his response, Pierre felt her skin prickle. There was something odd about this. "'She recalled his comment when he first saw her "'and felt certain his curiosity was not merely idle. "'You were relying too much on someone "'you'd never laid eyes on before,' Kier replied. "'What if I had not agreed to come with you?' "'Then you would all have left without the information you seek. "'And you would have spent the evening alone again,' she said pointedly. "'Still a greater loss on your part than mine, don't you think? "'I guess that depends on why you wanted to speak with me in private.' Kamie was silent a moment. "'I knew you would agree to it.' he went on matter-of-factly. You had to. You are a warrior dedicated to your mission and will do what is necessary to be successful. Kier frowned. You mean you think you could suggest anything and I'd go for it just to get what I need? This was a dangerous assumption on his part and a shiver of alarm rushed through her. What if I don't agree to everything you wish? She said stiffly. How far do you hope to push my dedication? Are you going to change your mind if I refuse to grant your every pleasure? "'She rose, her voice echoing back to her off the black wall. "'If you're trying to coerce me to sleep with you, you need to stop. "'Now, this arrangement,' she waved her hand to include the room, "'will not extend that far. Are we clear?' "'The wizard looked startled and swiftly moved to her and took her hand. "'My dear, you forget.' "'He gently drew her down next to him on the sofa. "'I made a promise as well. "'I wish it never to be said that Kami makes a promise lightly.' he straightened his spine. Upon my honour, he put a hand on his heart, physical intimacy is not my object. She looked deep into his sapphire eyes and saw no deception. She believed him. Good, she said without embarrassment. I have not asked anything of you that was unreasonable, have I? Kier took a breath and her jaw relaxed. You're right. She shifted her focus downward to where the green gown caught the firelight outlining the contours of her knees. She turned back to him and started. He was very close to her, and gazing at her that way again. His eyes were as deep as the sky. She might drown in them, yet they held her. Safety and freedom gleamed there. His hand reached up slowly as if being pressed down by a weight and removed the comb that held her hair. You are so much more than a wielder of a sword. Her hair tumbled down around her shoulders, and he stroked its softness with the back of his fingers. They carried on, breathing a whisper of touch on her cheek, and she stifled a gasp. Pleasure and fear trickled down her back like drops of cold water. Some sort of force from within him was pulling on something within her, and Pierre couldn't tell whether she wanted to be free of it or not. But some other energy snapped her eyes shut and weakened the connection. She held on. Resist him. Do I frighten you? His voice was soft, emotionless, soothing like waves on a lakeshore. Hyperventilating, she rubbed her face with one hand, frantically shaking off the desire that was pushing its way in. She felt weakened and wondered about the potency of elder elderflower liqueur. I don't know whether to be frightened or not. Should I be? "'I don't think frightened is the right word,' she concentrated very hard. "'You have an advantage over me in more ways than one. "'If I had my sword, I'd still feel unarmed. "'You look at me and can see into me. "'You know more about me than even I do, and I know nothing about you,' she paused. "'I feel like a prisoner here, and yet if I asked to leave, I believe you would let me go. "'Do you wish to leave?' The tension in the room rippled like a heat wave as Kier struggled with the strange emotions that churned inside her. When had he taken her hand? No, I don't. She was aware of a sensation that this was some kind of battle won for Kamey, but it was all right. She was certain that she had let him win it. Her own determination had not allowed her to retreat so soon. Kamey appeared more relaxed now, or was he just a bit more sure of himself? You told me during dinner about your last mission, he said, with a lift of his previous intensity, and you also explained why Alon Mare is so important to you. Kier waited. You risk your life and will spend several months searching to help someone you merely hold idealistically in your mind. Kier frowned, puzzled by the statement. Was he trying to make her feel foolish? Camille rose to refill her tumbler. How much time are you going to spend on this sort of thing? He smiled as if hinting at something, though she couldn't guess at what. When are you going to start focusing on what you want to do? <laughs> what do you mean I'm doing exactly what I want to do? Not quite. A nervous laugh. She brushed her hair back behind her shoulders. Of course I am. I studied the Wepnian. I'm a sword fighter, working for Valraker, for Kian, doing exactly what I trained to do. What are you driving at? She sipped from the tumbler. He sat down again, leaning close to her. What of your own purpose? Kier leaned away from him and said nothing. Come now, my dear, you know what I'm talking about. Why do you think I really wanted to talk to you tonight? Surely you understand how a bond between us would be beneficial to us both. His sapphire eyes explored deeply within her emerald ones. She shook her head, uncomprehending. I left home to meet other warriors. She whispered as if by saying so it would become the truth. No, my dear, you are lying to yourself. Whatever enchantment his eyes were weaving came on full force. What is on the end of that chain you wear about your neck? His fingertips didn't quite touch it. Startled, she raised her left hand to where the medallion lay on her chest, hidden by the crushed velvet garment. She tore herself away from his penetrating gaze and moved swiftly toward the fire. What do you know about it? A vein on the side of her head pulsed. He backed off slightly. When I first saw you, I told you I recognized you. Breathe. She tried to calm herself and slow her heartbeat. Her hand still lay upon the medallion. I assumed you meant you hadn't seen a woman in a long time. Her voice came gruffly and sounded entirely unlike herself. Kami looked sincerely astounded. He leaned back against the sofa. You mean... He looked at her quizzically as if thinking through a series of questions. Pierre had nothing to say. Kami rose and moved around behind the sofa, apparently in some agitation. I assumed... I thought that was why you... But then of course not or else you wouldn't be He stopped pacing, having arrived at the end of his discussion with himself. He had evidently come to some conclusion. In spite of several more sips of wine, Kier remained discomposed, having lost whatever minor feeling of control she'd had at the start of the evening. "So you will admit that you left Wrath to learn more?" Kier rested her hand on the mantel, reluctant to respond. "'Well, yes, isn't that why people travel? I thought I might happen to pick a few things up along the way.' "'Things seem to have fallen neatly into place, though, wouldn't you say?' He began a slow return journey to her side of the sofa. "'I mean, you find yourself working for Kian and for Valraker, two of the most learned in rider's law remaining alive. Two of them, but not the only ones, mind.' "'You are given the opportunity to travel and meet a good many people, "'some of whom you get along with better than others "'because of your tendency for outspokenness.' "'How do you know all this?' "'She rubbed her eyes with the heel of her hand "'and gulped yet again from her cup. "'I know a good many things.' "'Okay, you're irritating me now.' "'Suddenly he was right in front of her. "'He reached out and took the empty cup from her hand "'and set it on the mantel. "'And your travels brought you to me.' Kami took both her hands. I could help you. What if I could tell you everything you wanted to know? Then I would expect you to tell me and stop playing at riddles, she said crossly. Oh, it wouldn't come as easily as that, you know. These things take time. For everything there is a price. Yes, that's it exactly. His eyes probed into her again. This time Kier was not caught off guard, but she was getting impatient. You were trying to tempt me, Kami, but you want something. What is it? He was taken aback, but then he smiled and spoke earnestly. "'It is true. I can tell you everything.' Her mouth opened in awe. "'I can tell you who you are.' Her breath came in short puffs. He nodded encouragement. "'I can tell you where you came from.' Pierre's jaw was slack, and she leaned forward. "'Yes, I know all about you, and I can tell you all of these things.' Was he just posturing? A little nagging voice inside her was saying, Hold on, but she wasn't listening. You know all about my medallion? Yes, I do. Her blood quickened, pulsing with emotion, and as she stared at him, it seemed that waves of music swelled around her. She broke away and sought equanimity with the flowers on the table, drawing in their scent to deepen her tremulous breaths— Then, sinking to perch on the edge of an armchair, she studied its red plush upholstery. She thought hard and raised her head. Why don't you just tell me then? Who am I? Why was I left in wrath? He opened his mouth to speak, then seemed to think better of it, knitting his brow. She interpreted this as stubborn refusal. What do you want? She demanded. He walked to the fireplace, gazing about him, arms out in a welcoming gesture. Stay with me. Pierre stared at him in astonishment. What? Here? Yes. Be my companion. She looked at him levelly. For how long? He looked surprised. For all our lives. Companions. Not really a prisoner, then. Certainly not. But not really free, either. This would be your home. Safe. "'You've outgrown the farming village of your upbringing. "'This is much more suited to the Kier you have become, "'the Kier you will become as you grow.' "'He had just used her name for the first time, "'and she liked hearing him say it. "'Naturally, you could go off on a journey now and then, "'but this would be the home you'd return to "'gladly after your travels.' "'He approached her. "'Think of what you would gain,' he insisted. "'The knowledge. "'I could teach you so much.' Everything I have could be yours, the tower and everything in it, all my magic. By then he had reached her, and his trembling hands grasped hers and drew her to her feet. Your friends do not need you so much on their journey. I'll give them the information they need, and you can stay here, knowing that the instructions will be carried out. Her words sounded stupid even as she said them. But, and not help with the mission? Not take the antidote to her and make sure she survives? "'You've never even met her!' his eyes were wide. "'Isn't it enough to know you've done your part by joining me this evening? "'Your friends seem to think it was too much to ask of you. "'They will not begrudge your choice to bow out now after such a deed.' "'He reached a hand to her shoulder, "'and the touch sent crackles through her "'as he ran it down her arm to take her hand again. "'He stroked it with his other. "'These hands, so strong yet so gentle!' His soft voice had the effect of the hot bath water, making her sleepy, yet she also felt the palpable intensity of his longing for her companionship. She might be overwhelmed and consumed by it, but it would also sustain her. The tiniest of steps toward him, loving the pull of his gaze. Staying here in the tower, what an opportunity! Why, Juskelon would probably put shoes on, or ride a horse if it meant he could live in Kamey's Tower as long as he wanted. She could learn everything. And to be safe from ever having to deal with people again? No more diplomacy, no more danger, no more enemies, no more fighting for her life. She hadn't realized how much it all had troubled her. Who would not jump at such an offer? His eyes are so blue.' Despite her acceptance of his earlier declaration, she longed to run a hand through the dark spikes of his hair. That glint of self-consciousness sent a shudder through her senses. But why me? The words burst out of her. The drawing force shunted ever so slightly, and she seized the chance to pull back. The chamber revolved around them. Oh, Pierre, do you not feel it? There is such a powerful energy between us. We were meant to be together. His voice was so soothing, and oh, how it moved her. She began to feel an inner calm, a relaxation she'd only ever felt when she was at home. Together, what couldn't we achieve? He went on ardently. We would be the ultimate partnership. Would we? Clouds billowed in her head. I know it. He spoke softly, taking her chin in his soft, dark hand and turning her bewildered face up toward his. Can you doubt it? The clouds in her head began to swirl and spin. Her breath came as if she'd been running hard. Think, she commanded desperately. Think! Something. Something's wrong here. Do you doubt it? He was a bit more demanding this time. No, she pulled away, anger surging. I don't! She put her face in her hands. But, oh, I have to think. She walked swiftly away from the warmth of the fire to the other side of the room. She needed to wake up, to snap out of it. She touched the medallion, felt the smooth facets of the gem through the velvet, remembered sparks flying from it. There was a message there somewhere if she could only think what it was. The answers to all her questions, everything that had mystified her since she was a child, when Della and Gareth first told her she was not theirs, that was another reason she had left Wrath. She had known no one there could tell her anything about herself, but it seemed less important at the time than pursuing her dream to be a fighter— Now, with almost no effort at all, Camie was willing to tell her everything she needed to know. Her real family, where she had come from, her medallion, the language she had spoken when she arrived in Hrath and still knew. Looking up, she saw that Camie had not moved, but that his eyes followed her wherever she went. "'His awe-inspiring figure seemed to have grown in stature. "'She was sure he wasn't even as tall as Derry when they had arrived, "'yet now he loomed, filling the area by the fireplace. "'Just looking at him, she felt that drawing power of his "'willing her to agree with him. "'She couldn't think of any reason she shouldn't. "'But her gut told her that there must be, "'and she thought frantically to find it. "'Was he being straight with her, "'or was he exaggerating his knowledge and power?' She paced about until the chill helped to clear her head a little. Her heart hammered against her breastbone. What was she forgetting? She found herself at the far end of the room next to the harp. Reaching out, she plucked a string and was astonished at the clarity of the ring that echoed about the vast chamber. She could almost see the note reverberate through the space, a note clear like the ring of steel when her sword clashed with another. Camy's music versus her music. A vague memory of dark woods and that ring of steel, her own voice, one, two, three. A dead man, her own pain, and Val. She looked down at herself, startled to see green velvet instead of leather armor, and her hair hung down her shoulders instead of being secured back in one long braid the way she liked it, out of the way for fighting. Fighting. A breeze had stirred in her head to blow the clouds away. When she looked back at Kami this time, his missile gaze seemed to be deflecting off her rather than being absorbed. She had wanted to absorb it. It had been strangely pleasurable. Now the control Kami had tried to wrest from her was returning to her own power, and the answer to the extraordinary offer he had made began to formulate in her mind. There had to be more in this for Kamey than he was letting on, or he wouldn't have tried so hard. She had left Hrath as a sword fighter. True, she had felt that there was something she was supposed to do, and she had known she wouldn't find it in Hrath, but she was fairly certain that her chosen path, led by Valraker and Kian, was, at least for now, "'the right one.' "'She breathed deeply. "'Her head stopped spinning "'and returned to its normal state of clarity "'and self-assuredness. "'Refusing to be intimidated by him, "'she turned to look at Camy. "'He still watched her from the fireside. "'Your price is too high,' she said. "'I know some might leap at the chance, "'and I really do thank you for the offer. "'Believe me, I'm overwhelmed by your attention to me. "'This place is not for me, though,' Maybe I'm a fool, but I think I have to learn things at a steady pace and in the right setting. Kier took a step toward him. I'm sorry. He floated across the stone floor to join her. His expression was one of respectful concession. He was perhaps disappointed, but the sapphires told her that he yielded... He took the hand she offered, but this time he did not try to draw her toward him. Instead, he examined its roughness and strength created by years of wielding a sword. He grasped it gently and bowed. "'You, too, are very wise, and you are more powerful than you know.' With his other hand, he gestured to where her medallion lay beneath the crushed velvet, adding intensity to his words like a warning. "'You don't need that.' Kier put her hand on her chest protectively. "'Of course I do!' She wanted to ask what he meant, but she was suddenly very weary and more ready for sleep than another conversation. Besides, she did not want to know what the price would be for such an answer. She smiled up at him rather fondly, and on an impulse she took his chin and kissed him. "'I wouldn't want you to forget me when I'm gone, you know,' she smiled. "'Good night.' Then she headed up the stairs. She did not look back, and she did not hear Camie when he whispered under his breath, That is not likely. She hung the green dress back in the wardrobe. With one final touch of the finery, she closed the door on it. Pulling a warm nightgown over her steady head, she slowly wandered around the room, extinguishing candles as she went. As each flame puffed out, her weariness grew until she felt almost obliterated by exhaustion. Whatever battle she had just fought... She had won it. She crawled into bed and lay there as if on a cloud. The tension, fear and anxiety of the day melted and carried her with it into nothingness. As her mind reached the point of clarity just before falling asleep, she sat bolt upright. He didn't tell me the antidote, she said to the bedpost. Then she flopped into the pillows and plummeted into dreamless sleep. A listener got in touch with me last week. And they said, I loved your editorial comments about Fennel getting a backbone. You sounded so proud of him, yet somewhat surprised that he had it in him. I found that very funny given that he's a figment of your imagination and all. <laughs> I said, I hadn't really even thought of that. I am proud of him. And this goes back to chats with cool folk number one where Jonathan Lister and I talk about how the characters will tell you what they need, and they very often do stuff that we, as the writers, didn't plan. True, sometimes we need to rein them in and take charge and say, hey, before you do that, you need to do this. It's kind of like telling your kids, yes, you can watch a movie, but first I would like you to unload the dishwasher. But with characters, you just hope that by the time they've completed the task you ask them to do, they'll forget about the other thing they wanted to do. I mean, imagine if Sam Gamgee got up the guts to approach Rosie Cotton before going off with Frodo. Imagine if he was like, no, I don't want to travel. Off you go without me. I'm going to stay here and hang with this awesome woman who thinks I'm cool. And Tolkien's like, that's great, Sam, but. I really need you to go off on this adventure and risk your life a few times first, okay? Then you can hang with Rosie. (laughs) See, it's a balanced relationship, kind of like teenagers. Treat them with respect and give them some free reign, but also having expectations of them. Thanks to the listeners who got in touch with me about last week's episode. I really appreciate your comments. Thanks to my family, Matt, David, and Heather. Heather, who I hope is also really proud of fennel, and Maggie. Thanks to David and Sharon and the original six. And thanks to you. Now, go be fantastic.